So today's episode is with the one and only Faye Bate. Faye is a good friend of mine. She's a medical student and YouTuber who has racked up a huge following down to her down-to-earth and humorous content about her life as a junior doctor. She's been incredibly honest online about her struggles with body image and binge eating, and that forms the topic of our conversation today. We discuss Faye's story, how problems with body image typically manifest and what they look like, how Faye has taken steps to overcome her issues with body image, and also how we can identify and help any of our friends or family who may be struggling too. Hello, Faye. Welcome, welcome. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for uh, giving up some of your very precious Wednesday afternoon because that's the time off you get as a med student, isn't it? Yes, it is indeed. But this is a good way to spend it, as good as any. So, um, what amazes me about you, Faye, is that you managed to go to university and do med school, but you also run a fairly uh, active YouTube channel, shall we say, and then it also seems like you've been travelling half the globe as well. <laughs> How do you balance all of those things? How are you finding it? Oh, God. Um, oh, how do you balance things? I would say it's impeccable organisation, but that would be a lie. Um, I think, honestly, practically, I'm not really sure how I do it. I think it more stems from like the inner motivation to do those things, if that makes sense. I think <clears throat> like an inner desire to make sure that I'm enjoying my life to the fullest at this age. Do you, do you know what it comes from is basically... When I was on my gap year, when I didn't get into medical school, I I worked as a carer. And when I was working as a carer, it was like a very, very, very difficult job. Um, it was like 15 hour days and I was getting paid really, really, really crappy money. And it was obviously I was doing, you know, really, really tough jobs, um, like working with a lot of really ill people and people who don't have a great quality of life, like people who don't have a great quality of life. And I think the combination of like working a lot of hours, like I'd leave the house at like half six in the morning and I wouldn't get home until 11 o'clock. And then on top of that, I was resitting my A-levels and like then also seeing people who, there was people that I'd visit in the morning, I'd go make them their breakfast and then I'd see them again at night and they'd be sat in the same chair watching telly. (laughs) And like, that was, you know, that was their life. No one came to visit them. They Mm. couldn't get up and they couldn't do anything for themselves and they couldn't leave the house. And there was, I remember on my first day, I came home and I just cried and cried and cried because I was like, is that all we've got to look forward to? Like when we're older, you know, Mm. I think when you were young, you just think that everything, you're just going to live forever and you're just going to have this incredible life surrounded by your friends and traveling. Exactly. And like, it's not like that, like things your health goes, your friends go, your like ability to, your freedom goes. Um, and I think it's that inner desire to make sure that like I am like being grateful and like also utilizing every opportunity that I have. And I think I'm from going from working full time, like more than full time (laughs) and having a lot of responsibility to then being a student again. Like I just have this newfound appreciation for life as a student Mm. and I think from that another thing is my mum used to always drill into me like medical school is going to be so hard like you're not ready for it um because my mum's a nurse my mum but obviously she saw lots of doctors who worked very hard and I think I'd prepared myself for medical school being so 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 difficult I was so ready I was prepared 
And then it actually wasn't as hard as I thought. Mm. I had a lot more free time than I did in my gap year. And I was like, oh my God, like I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to really make most of it. And my mum actually, she said, I've had like a job. I always had a job, always worked. And then my mum said to me, look, your first term medical school, it's going to be so hard. She said, don't get a job. Like, just see how you get on. Don't get a job. And I got bored. <laughs> so it didn't take me very long to like, I, I wanted to start YouTube for ages. And then I think it honestly came out of a boredom because I didn't, I wasn't working. <laughs> and yeah, then I think... I really, I saw people doing all, I saw people on YouTube, medical students on YouTube, and I felt like I could contribute something different. And then I also wanted to make use of the time that I had to like travel and experience things, but it doesn't really come from anything practical. I'm actually appalling at organizing my life. I'm dreadful at keeping, I like spinning the plates. I have no practical tips on how to do Mm. that. All I can say is that I think if you, when you, know what you want and you have that clear desire to make the most of everything everything else just kind of falls into place and it's a little bit chaotic at times but it's the best sort of chaotic and I wouldn't have it any other way yeah I think that's really interesting though in terms of there doesn't always have to be practical tips with it like you know that you had that inner desire to do more than just I guess the typical student would do and I definitely remember my time at uni and why I sort of say like hats off to you because like I was kind of just clinging on to hold on to the lectures and make sure I've got like my exams and other than that I was probably going out occasionally and like other than that that was that was kind of it and then <laughs> I've started to try and do other things as I've, I've gone into the working world and probably mm. grown up a fair amount but also I find it really interesting you talk about the uh, time in the care home because I did that as well and like <laughs> The getting into med school business and all the other stuff you have to do, I'm not a massive fan of a lot of it. And I think a mm. lot of it's kind of tick boxy and stuff, but actually having to, they sort of recommend that you go and do some volunteer work. And I mm. think if more people went and did that as just a prerequisite, I think like places in Scandinavia have a bit more of a better culture when it comes down to like volunteering and, and looking after the sort of the elderly or, or um, disabled pe- uh, people in the community, then the world would be a much better place. No, I, I completely agree. Also, I think it's a, a massive thing for like respect for your elders mm. as well, which I think it really... Mm, definitely. And also just learning about life. Like, you know, like you said there, like you had this like massive like realisation mm. that like life is shit at times and things go pear-shaped. And so I need to, your learning from that was, I need to crack on and do everything I can to make sure that my life is what I want it to be. I invited you today for the podcast so we could talk a little bit about something that you do talk about online. I know you have very open about mental health and in particular, in particular body image. And so done a little bit of research myself and there was a survey recently, 8,000 people, and it was kind of shocking. Around 60, 65% of adults and children feel negative or very negative about their body all of the time, which I just think is like completely shocking. What's your experience of body image? When did that become sort of an issue in your life? So I actually have a really vivid memory of, I think I was under the age of 10, like definitely under the age of 10, because I was still in primary school. And my mum, we were going on holiday to visit like my mum's family in America. And I said to my mum, I'm just not going to eat for two weeks because I know I'll put on weight on holiday. And this was under 10. Under 10. And um, like my mum was obviously like, no, Faye, that is a very, very, very bad idea. But I think even then, like I was very aware of my body. That was, 
definitely my earliest memory of having a very difficult relationship with food and my body. Um, and I'm not too sure where it came from because when I went to, I went, I had some therapy last year with, um, like binge eating and just kind of really going into the, why I have these negative, um, negative habits with like my Mm. food and eating and whatever. And I said to the therapist, I said, I have no idea where it's come from because my mum is like the, the epitome of healthy relationship with her food, like with food and her body. Like my mum is always saying to me, she's like, Ferrari can't run without fuel. You need your food. Like my mum is the polar opposite of the Yolanda Hadid mum. Like my (laughs) mum is, if I haven't eaten, my mum is like trying to feed me up. You know, she's not, yeah. Like, and she's, she's never been like instilled these bad attitudes with me. And then I, um, and then I spoke to my mum about it. She got quite like upset. And like, I got a little bit upset because she said, Faye, like she said, you can't be, you couldn't be further from the truth. She said like, you know, I remember when I was your age and I had a dreadful relationship with food. And then my mum was like, I remember there's days when, and I, I did pick up on it a couple of times when I was home. And like, there's days that my mum would have a banana for dinner. I didn't notice it because my mum would never project it on me. But my mum did grow up in, in that era where it was like the mm. Atkins and, you know, no carbs and like a really like skinny, like a really slim focus. Mm. Um, and actually a lot of those habits probably did end up on me. Sort of subconsciously transmit across. Yeah, it's amazing what kids can pick up in their parents, I guess. And consciously, I never recognised that. And it was only after having that conversation with my mum and her saying face, she's like, I don't know who you were looking at because I do not like... I did not have a healthy relationship with food or my body. Mm. And then even little comments that I never noticed growing up because I always saw my mum as like this beacon of health and happiness. And especially as a young person who sees their mum as pretty much like a godlike figure, like that's your life, isn't it? Particularly as a young kid. And then as you grow up, you start to see other things, but they are the be all and end all. So if their attitude about food is Mm. that, and that, you know, health is actually under eating uh not nourishing your body then mm. you take that up automatically like there's not really much of a chance for young people if like that's the behaviors you're seeing all the time and i guess like it's just really it's really interesting and i guess that's where a lot of i guess mental health comes from it's like what we pick up in early age anyway but it's interesting from a body image perspective and something you've probably probably learned yourself uh, like you know a hundred percent the media has a lot to answer for. There's no two ways about it. But I think it is really important to think about the language that you use around kids. Like I'll be around, say, people who have young children, like who are my age or maybe a little bit older than me. Mm. And I'll hear them say certain sentences in front of like their four-year-old daughter. And I'll think, oh my God, you probably have no idea that she's just heard that. Yeah. Uh, or she's and what just she's really... taken from that exactly right? that's really interesting and i guess I, it's got me thinking about something else from uh you, you mentioned the media there and we'll come on to talk about the media and body image but um i've been doing some research recently and 50 percent of mental health conditions seem to start before the age of 14 now i know people use tiktok a bit earlier now and social mm. media but i can't imagine that before 14 every kid has had loads of you know, uh, exposure to to bad social media or to social media that can mm. cause mental health conditions. So really it does sort of sit with what you're saying there that yes, the media has a lot to answer for, but there is more to this in mental health crisis and perhaps a lot of 
these sort of negative things that we are still picking up from our parents and, and sort of the world around us before we get to social media age. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And I think it's, uh, you know, how with psychopaths and other different things, I'm not comparing <laughs> mental illness to psychopaths, but how they say it's like the three-legged stool. It's like your environment, your genetics and trauma. They're, they're like the perfect breeding ground for like a psychopath or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, as much as mental, that is a terrible analogy. I wouldn't There's... say it's a bad analogy, to be honest. Like, I think it's quite, I think it gets most of the things. Like p- some people are pre-gen- pre-genetically uh, predetermined to yeah. have genetics that predispose you, should I say, to uh, mental health. Yeah. Some people have an environment that looks after them. Some people don't. Yeah. And then some people have much more trauma in their life. And I think they are the real like catalysts of, of poor mental health. And particularly when you're young, you have a very plastic brain. Mm trauma and all of those other things we've just mentioned affects affect how it's wired yeah say with like my my um adhd when i got again coming back to my mum i talk about my mum a lot but um when i got diagnosed with adhd they had to do like an interview with my mum to just get a background on like me as a child mm-hmm. and then at the end the psychiatrist was like um how do you feel Faye? and i just burst out crying i was like it just feels like a final puzzle piece like everything just seems to make a lot more sense now and then they asked my mum and my mum was like I feel so guilty and my mum was so like upset and then we got off the call with the psychiatrist and then we had just had a call us and she was like I feel so guilty that I didn't notice and then I said to my mum I said you shouldn't feel guilty because I'm almost certain my mum also has ADHD yeah which is why I think she didn't notice any of the traits in me that were very ADHD because that is her to a T like <laughs> my mum is the poster girl for ADHD and um and like if you have one parent who has ADHD you're 60% likely to to have ADHD okay. so like that's the genetic com- the genetic you know component, component. Sure. but my mum is, my, both my parents are incredible parents. We had a very structured childhood. Um, playing sport is like a huge part of like, um, a huge part of being able to manage ADHD as a kid. And I was never not doing anything. Every day after school, I had some sort of activity. Mm. I had very regular bedtimes, very regular wake up times, very structured meal times, um, a loving, caring household. And I think that the reason nothing got picked up on until like, say now that I'm in like my twenties is because I, everything, my environment was so like structured, the manifestations of my ADHD weren't as severe, yeah. which was a blessing and a curse because it was a lot later till I got the sure, help that I maybe needed. maybe got as less support. Exactly. You were put in an environment that actually really fit with your ADHD and allowed you to sort of, you know, really run with it and, yeah. and do the best that you could. Yeah. Um, that's really interesting. I found when I was doing um, sort of reading before this, a model, like a theoretical framework on body image. And there's sort of four different components. I thought it'd be nice to sort of visualize with this framework how your experience of body image was. So the first one in body image in this framework is perceptual. So that's the way you see yourself. So for someone who doesn't really understand body image or having an issue with body image, like how did you see yourself or how do you see yourself? This is really interesting. I think it took me until my 20s to realise that what I see in the mirror is not a reflection of how I actually, what I actually look like. It's a reflection of how I feel that day. As in, I can step on, you know, I try, I 
I have a difficult relationship with the scales now. Like I try and weigh myself like not religiously, but just kind of every so often, almost as like a grounding point. Mm. Because I think if my body image and my perception are off, sometimes I actually like step on the scales to make myself, to remind myself, no, Faye, this is your like, your perception talking, not actual reality. And I know people who have um, bad body image or eating issues have a different relationship with the scales. And I'm not going to suggest the relationship anyone should have but that's the relationship I have Mm -hmm. anyway so I will look in the mirror and I will see someone who is very 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 big I don't want this language to seem like negative towards other people like I don't look at other people and go oh my god and think negatively about their body the only person I think negatively about is myself but I look in the mirror and I think that I am very 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 big and I when I was talking about when I was 10 I looked in the mirror and I thought I was very, very, very big. Okay. And then I'd look and I'd go, God, you just look so like, I think like gross. And then I'd step on the scales and I'm exactly the same weight as I did was two days ago when I felt absolutely incredible or mm. like really confident and really happy. And then I think about like what had maybe gone on in the past day or what had maybe gone on in the past two days. And then I'd normally, only recently, maybe like a year ago, I'd normally be able to pinpoint something that happened that made me, made my self-worth low, that suddenly I wasn't thinking, oh, this person acted this way towards me and now I feel low. I was looking in the mirror and I was projecting that on my self-image and going, instead of addressing the actual reason I feel low, I'm going to say that I feel low because I look fat, essentially. Mm. It's really interesting that you've spotted now that it's something potentially that has led to you to feeling different or low in self-esteem or something has gotten onto your nerves or there's something in your mind that then changes the way you actually see yourself the second part of the model is effective so that's how you feel about the way you look and you've probably alluded a little bit to like what how that makes you feel but how would it make you feel when you saw that um so i definitely say worthless I would also say a big thing for me, actually, with ties into YouTube, I wanted to start YouTube from first year. And I always told myself I would only start a YouTube when I got down to a certain weight because I wouldn't be successful unless I got down to a certain weight. And I think definitely it would be the value I attach. The the effect would be the value I attach to how I look Mm. and my, like, yeah, my value in myself. And there's um there's something Jeff Bezos has said mm-hmm. about how he doesn't get happy when the stocks are up because that conversely means that he'll be unhappy when the stocks are down and that's something that he can't control. I think, again, something I've tried to implement over the past year is if I look in the mirror and I go, oh, you're looking so skinny today, Faye. I'm, I avoid feeling good about that because conversely, in a couple of days when something shitty has happened and I look in the mirror and I see a very different image, I'm going to see, I'm going to feel bad. Um, And I think it just comes down to that like neutrality thing. I don't know how much you've been able to do this, but like your weight and our, like whoever's weight, you know, one's weight is not linked to our worth. Yeah. You know, and that's, that's again, like one that we were talking before off camera about these like stories we tell ourselves Mm. that something happened in childhood and it happens for many people that builds a story in your mind that, your weight is linked to how worthy you are. Yeah. And that is clearly means absolutely nothing. And 
is not true. Like, yeah. It isn't. You know, that it doesn't matter how, how big someone is or how small someone is. Yeah. How muscly someone is. They are still a person who has worth. So I feel very lucky to partner with one of my favourite brands for this series, Heights. In an ideal world, we would all eat a diverse, nutritionally complete diet that ensures we meet all of our nutritional requirements. However, if you're anything like me, you know that life likes to get in the way and that this isn't always possible. That's where Heights and their Smart Supplement comes in as the best insurance policy for looking after me and my brain. The Smart Supplement consists of two easy capsules every day and has been formulated by neuroscientist Dr. Tara Swart and dietitian Sophie Medlam. The all-vegan capsules are packed with 20 essential vitamins minerals, antioxidants and healthy fats which are designed to support your brain, nervous system, immune system and even sleep. I personally have noticed an improvement in my focus and a boost in my energy levels and I'm now more motivated than ever on my goals and I even make it to the gym more often when I take Heights. So if you want to get started with brain care, Heights are giving all of my listeners 15% off your first quarterly subscription with the code STRAIGHTTALKING. Head to yourheights.com, use the code STRAIGHTTALKING and start taking care of your brain and body today. So that's really interesting. We've done the perceptual and effective. And the third one of the model is cognitive. So that's like your thoughts and beliefs about your body. Do you remember having any very strong sort of thoughts and beliefs that you held about your sort of body image in a negative way? Definitely the main one. And I still get this one a lot um, that I will not be successful unless I lose weight. That's a big one. Um, that no one will love me if I don't lose weight, that uh, if I'm with someone, they will find someone they prefer if I don't lose weight. Wow. I Sometimes I'll look at girls and I'll think, how can my boyfriend find me attractive when there are girls who look like that? And how, I mean, I hope that they're much less of a thing for you now. Yeah, like 100%. I think from speaking but I think, to you, that's probably quite yeah. clear. And, but like I said before, they, they're hard to get rid of, right? They're hard, they sort of, they're quite shackling. Yeah, no, definitely. I think, I think it's, it's really important to recognise how horrible they are. Mm. Um, and that's half the battle, but it doesn't solve the issue because I think when, it's like breaking the cycle of those thought patterns because yeah. um, as soon as you go down those thought patterns, it's very hard to snap yourself out because mm. you're so used to traveling down that road. But actually what, what is really powerful is when you do start to snap yourself out, it does get easier and easier. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like God, body images, body image issues and eating issues are such, so difficult because right. you have to eat to you live. have to eat so it's linked to food isn't it and so yeah. you, you know, normally someone would have three meals a day you can't just not eat you mm. know and you you will have to be faced with food you know as you said like a, a, usually about three times a day yeah and every single time you sit down to eat a meal it's like a battle or every time you get yeah. changed it's a battle like it's I, the trigger isn't it yeah, yeah no it's, exactly it's, it's exactly. one of the many triggers for you know the negative cycles to start again mm. And finally, behavioural. So that's the last part of this framework. But was there anything that you would do in particular to sort of negate these sort of thoughts you were having and beliefs you were having? Um, Definitely. The worst, the worst one for me is like the binge restrict cycle. I reckon I was in a continuous binge restrict cycle, probably like seriously from the age of like 13 till last year. So that is a solid ten, a solid decade, wow. I would say. And I would say before that, 
So like when I said before the age of like 10, whatever, I remember my mum would go watch my brother's rugby games and I would, uh, like I really vividly remember it again in primary school. And like, say I would have like tried not to eat the day before and like just challenged myself, like let's just not eat today because you're looking a little bit podgy. Mm. eight-year-old Faye <laughs> and then um my mum would go off to watch my brother's rugby games well maybe I wasn't eight it should, like maybe like nine ten she'd leave me at home alone in the house and you know like those little tubs in, from Tesco or like Asda or whatever with like the mini caramel shortbreads mm. like the little squares yeah? yeah they're good I'd eat the whole pack <laughs> but obviously it's like because I wouldn't I'd eat the whole pack I'd eat I'd find whatever I could in the cupboard, like maybe like a pack of walnuts, whatever, because I was just so ravenous. Yeah. And that, I know, I know someone might be watching this or listening and going, you were a kid, like you ate a whole pack of caramel shortbreads, like it's not that big a deal. It's not that. And I think what really struck a chord with me when we had like our binge eating lecture in uni was I said, it's not the amount that you eat. It's not what you eat. It's the feeling of like being out of control. And it was like that, because I remember I'd go to the kitchen, I'd go, mm. I'm going to have one, I'm going to treat myself to one, okay? I'd eat one, I'd go back in the living room, and then I'd literally, I would be like, stop, like, I, I felt as if I couldn't control my, like, control myself. Mm. And again, someone's going to be listening, going, we all feel like that around caramel shortbread. No, I get that, but it's the mental torment. Like, it, it honest, when I'm in, like, a binge, it feels like... I am mentally tormenting myself. It feels like I can, I'm completely control, out of control. It feels like someone's what, possessed what me. What are the thoughts going through your head when you're doing that? Like, you know, like you you clearly still know that this is going to probably make you feel worse in the long run. Yeah. But what is like the, the prevailing thought that like makes you carry on doing that? Shame. I think it's like, I feel, I feel ashamed of myself. I feel like, why the hell have you, do you not have the discipline to just not eat this? And then those negative feelings make me comfort eat. To yeah, make myself yeah. feel so better. So gives you the comfort yeah. in that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and then it's just a cycle and then I feel like, like I, it'll be to the point where I, it doesn't matter what I'm eating, I can feel physically sick. Like I will feel like I, I, mm. I'm so, so, so full I can't move. The food isn't even enjoyable. Mm. And it's almost like, really interestingly, it's, I actually think it's almost like it's a form of self-harm. In I terms think you could of certainly argue that, yeah. Like I think it's like I deserve to feel this like pain and shame that I'm just gonna keep eating to make myself feel worse. In more ways, like a psychological self-harm as well, like you're purposely trying to do yeah. something um because of that like sort of meta emotion of shame in the background. Yeah. Like I don't deserve to feel happy or healthy, sort mm. of thing. I'm really sorry that you've had to go through that. <laughs> and I, I think anyone listening to that who finds that quite like triggering yeah and um uh i think there probably is quite a lot of people like i know i've had like moments in my life where i've not got to the extent of that but like mm. you can see how it goes down that path like i'm resonating with what you're saying now, and i think probably a lot of people have also been there particularly maybe you know if it's not something that's always in their life when you're going through tough times food is the first thing you connect with in life so it's the first comfort that you get Mm. So when you're in a stressful, when you're stressed, I know I overeat when I'm stressed. Not to the extent I wouldn't say I've got a problem with like mm. food, but I know that it's intrinsically linked. You go for food, your diet goes out the window, uh, and you start making poor choices. So when you're in, when you're upset, the same things can happen. So what I'm trying to say is that if anyone is triggered, then feel free to reach out to me or Faye, and you know, be sure to to, to field any thoughts. Yeah, we alluded to it before, but why? do we have such a big problem? Why is there 60% of people that feel that they have a very negative body image? 
do you know what? And I think the most common answers you'd get would always be social media or media, TV, whatever. I'm going to say something completely different. It's money. It's money because people make money off your insecurities. That is it. The reason, okay, the media is bad. Okay, social media is bad. That's not the root cause of it. Someone will make more money from you if you feel shit about yourself. If they can sell you a diet plan to lose weight, if they can send you, if they can sell you a booty builder plan to get more curvy, if they can sell you breast implants, lip fillers, hair extensions, whatever, they will make more money. And I think that really is the root cause of it is no one profits from you feeling really comfortable and at home in your own skin. Mm. And that comes like a big thing I've been thinking about recently as well. Um, heard it on a Blind Boy podcast as well. I don't know if anyone listens to Blind Boy, but it does amazing podcasts. The world of advertising is mm. pretty evil in general. Like yeah. It plays off human psychology. And that is certainly what you're sort of alluding to there is like, we are advertised like in a way where it's like, telling you you need these things to be a certain type of person yeah you know, like wear these hair extensions and boys will find you more attractive like eat this it will make you you know a happier person etc yeah um, and i just find that like really really interesting yeah i'm such a fucking hypocrite i've just said that with lip fillers hair extensions and fake boobs but way <laughs> it's working for you yeah. it's working on you isn't it <laughs> so you said things have changed over the last year or so which i'm really glad to hear yeah how have things changed for you okay so number one number one recognizing it was a problem i think bad eating habits are so normalized it's so easy to not actually recognize them in yourself like i think i always just kind of i'm i definitely have more of a problem than most people i know but i kind of just convinced myself that like everyone diets everyone has like periods where they Mm. don't like their body. I didn't kind of recognize the huge, like how abnormal it was. Recognizing it, getting help. That is also a very, very, very important one. Reaching out, getting help, making it known that these issues, in in your close circle, making it known that you have these issues. help from other people around you in your close circle. Yeah, like, and also professional help, I think is really, really, really important. I know it's not as easy to access, you know, in, in the climate at the moment. Um, and then also get into the root cause because I think, you know, a lot of us probably do have eating issues or body image issues because of like the images that we are, you know, constantly fed from media, social media. But actually, most of the time it boils down to something a little bit deeper than that. Most of the time it, it might be that you feel like food is something you control where there's other areas of your life that you can't control. So mm-hmm. you control the food or you have this deep sense of, low self-esteem because of maybe like academic issues you're having or career issues you're having but that manifests itself as an eating issue or a body image issue and I think it's really getting to that like deep deep what is going on here for me personally I think it was my undiagnosed ADHD um I think I don't know what came first the chicken or the egg um but I think that I think the constant need for stimulation probably gifted me this um this very abnormal relationship with food where like if I was bored I would eat which a lot of people bored me I get that but like for the whole of my life I was in like this binge restrict cycle so I never really put on weight like I was probably Mm. always a little bit you know like 
a little bit, bit on bigger than most girls are a little bit curvier, whatever. I've got really big, like I've always had really big hips. I'm like five, four, eleven. I'm four, eleven. So I've always had a body that's different to other people. But because I was binging and restricting, I never, because I was binging and restricted, I never put on weight. I, mm. I just stayed the same weight. So it just kind of went under the radar. No one yeah. really noticed anything. And then last summer was, <laughs> was a really difficult summer for me. A lot of things happened that like just kind of like flipped my life on its head mm. and suddenly the restriction was gone but the binging was there and in the space of two months everything just caught up on me and I put on about two stone which you know I think it was the that was the beginning of me going Faye you need to really sort this out yeah. because and I I'm so 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 grateful it happened because it made me realize I had a problem and the restriction stopped and I think the first step, if you're in a binge restrict cycle, is stopping the restriction. And you probably will put on weight and it probably will be scary. But that is a small price to pay for the long term, your long term health and your long term healthy relationship with food. Mm. So the, that um, the restriction ended. So I realized I had a problem. Restriction ended. But putting on two stone in two months is tough. And mm. tough for anyone. Watching my body change in that that quick was so 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 hard and I think where I'd already gone like there was three really traumatic things that happened last summer that were just very hard to process I sought comfort in food and then on top of that I I put I watched my body completely change Mm. um it was a one step backwards for two steps forward moment it was a a very rude awakening but it was very much needed. It's a really nice way to sort of like those points, I think are really important for anyone yeah. particularly going through this, but like yeah. how, like now your relationship is fairly healthy with food. Oh, I have like bad days. hundred yeah. percent. I have bad days. I have, it's the days where I just like hear this little niggling voice going, why don't you not just, why don't you just not eat anything till dinner? And then I'll go, no, 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 no. Because if we don't eat anything till dinner, we will eat an entire loaf of bread instead of a healthy, nutritious meal. Whereas if we eat a nice balanced breakfast with our protein, carbs and our fats, you know, and also um, include like something that you want. Yeah. A nice lunch, a nice dinner. So practically, practical tips for having a good relationship with food. I think I really love like the add-on method. So say if you're craving like a Kit Kat, yeah? Mm-hmm. Or you're craving a, like craving a chocolate bar, yeah? yeah? Instead of saying, I cannot have that chocolate bar because in the end, your brain is going to win and mm. you're going to want that, you're going to eat that chocolate bar. You have that chocolate bar. So you have your chocolate bar. Then you add on like an apple and then maybe like some peanut butter or like something like you, a carb, a fat and like some sort of protein source, or whatever. Mm-hmm. So it's more of like a complete, you've got the nutrition, but you also got that thing that's going to satiate your brain and your mm-hmm. need for something like sweet or what you actually want. Um, love that. Love always having like a balanced carbs, proteins, fats, and including like fruits and veg in every single meal, volume eating, you know, but not cutting out the things that you actually really want. If you want something salty, yeah, incorporate it. You've got to be sensible, I guess, with like diet. But like, if you over restrict, you're right. Like your brain mm. will just come back and bite you, and you'll eat more the next day, or you or you'll actually end up eating yeah. the whole thing of biscuits that you had hidden rather than getting the chocolate bar yeah. out of the fridge that you wanted. I also really like there what you said, and I think it's kind of like a, a more deeper point about finding the root cause. Mm. Um, 
And I also always wonder, like, social media does get a bad rep. And I do think it plays a big role in this. And media in general and just, like, you know, sort of, you know, unrealistic beauty standards that have been perpetuated for for many, many years mm. from much earlier than so the, the, the birth of social media. I also think on the flip side of it, social media also can do a lot of good. And there's been a bit of a renaissance from that perspective. And I think you're pretty good at doing that online, like spreading this body, body positivity and um, generally just helping people understand mm. these things. And, and, and now a lot of people do follow body positivity influencers. So where do you see the role for social media from a positive perspective? I think in creating communities of people who have had similar experiences, obviously we've seen the negative impacts that that has had, e.g., you know, Tumblr, where it was like really promoting a lot of really negative um, habits. But I think in having a community of people that just resonate with what you're saying, even I find that so, so, so <coughs> comforting. If I, I remember the first time I posted anything about like feeling uncomfortable in my own skin and I found it really difficult to post. And then people who were saying, no, like, it's like you're, you know, re- like reading a page out of my diary. Like I feel yeah. like that really resonates with me. I found that so comforting. And also, mm. I don't know, it almost made me, motivated me to be like, right, I want to work out what works for me in breaking this cycle so that I can also like share that. So, and yeah, having that community is very supportive. I think also, you know, promoting diversity in terms of the um, media that we consume. Um, yeah, I think I, I, I really like, I think body positive is body positivity is something that has a natural consequence of like the era of very like thin um models etc but i think what's coming from body positivity now with body neutrality is so much more powerful i Mm. think say with body positivity i think we kind of associate that with actually just one size as well and i always think as well so people always think that like kim kardashian was like the antichrist of like the paris hilton era yeah and I think, no, like they are both very unrealistic standards. You have someone who is, okay, like she might be a little bit curvier, but all those curves are in exactly the right places. You know, that's not, that's also not realistic. And I think just not saying th- curvy girls are in right now or like body positivity represents one type of girl mm. or like, and slim girls are out and Kendall Jenner is a bag of bones. And <laughs> like, you know, like it's not about that. It's not, it's about, respecting our bodies for digesting our food and like being able to form human beings and all the things that our bodies do that have absolutely nothing to do with the way that we look but having that respect but not placing a value on it whether you are a big girl a small girl a tall girl like you know i love that concept body neutrality yeah i think having a deeper understanding of like what the body does for you yeah like it's pretty special and having a bit of self-love and trying to bring that in and take that takes the power hopefully away from this like you know potentially really negative thing which Mm. is all about image yeah so holding a negative view about your body is one of the early signs related to eating disorders Mm -hmm. i think it'd be really useful here to try and highlight any potential signs that maybe that someone's negative body image is becoming even more problematic it's perhaps becoming an eating disorder so okay i think i i'm no psychologist or psychiatrist but what i can speak of from personal experience 
is um, I would say a big change in the way that someone dresses. I the clothes that I wear when I feel bad about my body, like I would, I notice a really significant change in between that period where I I was when I put on two stone. I didn't. There was honestly about a four month period where I didn't really wear anything other than a baggy hoodie and leggings nothing else because I didn't feel confident in it Mm. and even on nights out like I just felt horrific like I wouldn't even like I'd wear like a pair of jeans and like a long sleeve top because I couldn't bear to wear any of the stuff that I used to wear so I think a big change in like the way someone dresses I think um generally a big change in like a, a change in someone's just behavior when they're around you I think being and feeling feeling insecure in your body it's like feeling unsafe in your home you know like and I think that has a huge impact on like your confidence and like someone who might have been bubbly and outgoing and you know life and soul of the party may then become very shy and reserved Mm. Um, and that's like any mental health condition you know it's a change in the way that someone behaves um a change in the way someone behaves around food um little comments I think like I don't make it any secret that I'm not happy like when I'm insecure about my body and I play it off as jokes like I will say cover it in humor right yeah and you know it's it actually it's like hide in plain sight (laughs) Mm. um yeah I say those I think think a lot of people do that yeah um and yeah I think you know like I'm fairly perceptive when uh, with when people are around and they're saying that you you can kind of tell actually Mm. a lot of the time but it's it's harder if you tell, and I've probably been guilty of this, mm. um, you may notice that that is the case and that maybe that person's unhappy, but it's how do you then approach that and how do you have that conversation? How do you support that? So actually let's, let's chat about that. Like if you do notice that in someone, how do you go about like, how would your, in your instance, how would one of your friends have helped you when you're in that sort of darker place with your body image? Oh, that's a tough one. That's a really, really, really tough one because I actually don't know if I would have been ready to be helped because I don't, I don't actually, like, I don't actually know if I recognised that there was an issue at that point. I recognised I was unhappy, yeah, but I don't know if I recognised there was an issue. I think as well, you've got to be careful of not coming off as like fake. I feel like as humans, we don't give ourselves enough credit for how easily we can spot when someone is lying to us, yeah. So I think if if you notice that someone's feeling insecure about their body and you suddenly go in with, I really love that hoodie and lego, legging combo you're wearing today. <laughs> like, you're going to be like, no, you don't. You just know that I feel shit about myself and you're saying anything to make me feel good. And it's like, I understand mm. that's done in the best possible, um, with the best possible intentions, sure. but it's not going to help. Um, I think being, boosting the confidence of your friends by giving meaningful compliments that, have that you genuinely believe yeah Mm. so like you know i think you can boost someone's self-esteem without like pulling things out of thin air i think if if you know there's gonna there's gonna be one day that your friend who doesn't feel that great about themselves is gonna come out wearing a nice pair of earrings or their hair's gonna look really nice or like 
they might have done something again it doesn't have to be related to their appearance it can be related to yeah it could be a more deep compliment about like i really value you as a friend and like you know you've been wonderful at your job recently or whatever it yeah. is like you can think of something i'm sure if you've yeah. got, got good friends and... no exactly if you're friends if you're friends with them you're friends with them for a reason exactly. so there's going to be something that you like about them mm. and i think just genuine compliments to like really kind of build their self-esteem until you feel like you're at a point where you can if something does happen that you can say hey like you know how's it going you yeah. know what is going on in here like do you, <laughs> should we just deep dive and but it has to be like an appropriate moment it shouldn't be like forced you know yeah wonderful thank you so much Faith. it's been wonderful thank you so much for listening i hope you enjoyed the podcast today it is staggering how many people are affected with issues around body image so i'm sure that Faye's advice will be really helpful if you do enjoy the podcast please do subscribe and follow and share with anyone who you think may like too. see you next week